I'm almost sure my own spiritual journey as a pastor has gone through three very distinct phases. When I came out of seminary, I think my standard answer was, well, here's what I believe. As I got into the middle years of my pastoral ministry, I think I started saying, well, here's what I think. But I've learned that at this season of my pastoral ministry, sometimes the best answer is, I just don't know. I just don't know. Now, I'll still tell you sometimes what I believe and what I think and try to find a helpful word. But I have learned, I think, <laughs> to honor the struggle as well as the joys, to honor the questions as well as the answers, to honor the uncertainty as well as the certainty. Because there are times where I really am pretty sure that this is what's going on, and there are other times I have no idea what to say. But just to honor the moment and say, we live in this mystery. We live in faith that in some ways God knows more than we do, but we still hang on. Some days we're just hanging on by our fingertips. Other days we got a full grasp, and we're right there. I think sometimes the key is those who have the full grasp get as close to the ones that are just hanging on by their fingertips and just help them uh, hang on. So thank you for those words. So to be continued, that's, you ever see shows that have that? You know, they'll have an episode and it's a great episode or it's a little bit longer than maybe it can be in, in one show. Um, to be continued. I haven't seen the Avengers film, but I'm not sure, so sure that shouldn't be continued. Three hours, that's what I heard from Lisa Allen today. Three hours. We are coming down from upstairs. I said, are you kidding me? You, people can sit through a three-hour movie, but if my sermon goes over 17 minutes, it's like, oh my goodness. So <laughs> They didn't say that. That was my own griping and groaning, all right? I'm just putting that out there, okay? So to be continued, you have that in shows sometimes. Um, and I think Easter is sort of that way. Easter's kind of on my mind because we sometimes see it as kind of a standalone, a one-off. You know, we had Easter, it's on the church calendar, it's this liturgical moment, it's, it's, we have sunrise worship experiences, we have a good breakfast, but it's a story that continues on. It's a reality that, that continues on, it's a miracle on not just a one-time event, but it's this miracle that continues with the reality of it in the fabric of our lives and all of creation. I think in some ways, see, there I go, I think but maybe not all the time, that we label Easter and resurrection as a one-time event. And in that one-time event, it accomplished something for us, for humanity, over 2,000 years ago that we benefit from today, namely forgiveness of sins and eternal life after death. And those are hugely important, all right? Hugely important. Believe me, I have plenty to forgive. And believe me, I am grateful that there is this mystery of eternity after death that one can count on, one can be thankful for, and we can hope in. But those are not just the two only realities, and it's not the end of the story, and it's not the final episode, because the story continues. And Easter Sunday should, be, should, should, should end every year, I think, with this phrase, to be continued, as it goes on and on and on. Now, one of the individuals in the Bible that I think truly tried to make sense of this was the Apostle Paul. Paul shows up later in the Bible in the book of Acts after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And in his appearance, he's this angry, violent religious leader, a Pharisee, seeking out all of those following Jesus in the way. And one day, he's on his way to Damascus, continuing this mission of persecuting Christians and killing Christians. 
And he has what can only be described as this sort of miraculous, mystical encounter with Christ, with the resurrected Jesus, and he is literally struck blind. And later his sight is restored, but I don't think just his physical sight, which I think is the whole point of the story, also his spiritual sight. And now he sees life in a whole new way. Now he sees humanity in a whole new way. He sees himself in a whole new way. It is He sees the resurrected Jesus, the living Christ, in a whole new way. And he is no longer this enemy of Christ, but he is a friend, a disciple, an apostle. And he knows in his own language the power of the resurrection as he writes later. And I think for Paul, this resurrection was just not a one-time event. It wasn't just a single episode, but it was power, it was energy. And I sometimes struggle to find words to name it, and I think Paul did too. But he used words like power and energy and and force that continued in and through his life and not only offered him forgiveness of sins, but the possibility of a changed life as well. Uh, the uh, The scripture that Keith read, when I hear that, I think Paul tried to work out in his heart and soul what the resurrection meant to him. And I think that's why he comes up with this language, if anyone is in Christ... That person is part of a new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, new things have arrived. Now listen to that language. The language Paul chooses is that we are new creations, and this language is intentional. Think Genesis. Think creation. Think of the beginning of the Bible. Think of God's original intent. When God created the heavens and the earth, when God created, there was wholeness, there was harmony, peace, and mutuality. God created and said it was good. When God created the world, God said it was good. When God created humanity, God said it was very good. God created goodness and intended for all of humanity and creation to exist in this life-giving mutuality and delight. In fact, the word Eden literally means delight. God intended for the whole world to delight in each other, for us to delight in one another's presence. And God literally, I believe, intended for us to take delight in creation all around us and that we would steward it well because it brings us delight. But we know that creation has fallen short of God's original intent. And in place of goodness, in place of mutuality, we have blame and scapegoating. scapegoating. We want to be like God. And, and often there's violence because you see the trajectory of Genesis. Read it very carefully. You read the first 10, 11 chapters of Genesis, you pretty well will see the whole human story right there. Because when we don't live in relationship with one another as God intends, we move from blaming to scapegoating to eventually violence to eventually saying what? Listen, I'm not my brother's keeper. They're not my responsibility. I'm in competition with everybody. And boom, there you have it. And that is where we have ended up. And so the story continues to be continued because the resurrection is God's continuing effort to recreate not only humanity, but a new heaven and a new earth to recreate creation. And that is why Paul says that anyone that lives in connection with Christ, in Christ, that person is a new creation. Now, I also love Paul's language where he says, but even if our bodies are breaking down on the outside, and I say, amen, Paul says, but on the inside, we are being renewed every day. This is where this new creation is taking place, right here in the very center of our beings, in the very center of our lives, in the very center of our hearts. 
Theologian um, N.T. Wright says it best, and it's in your bulletin, but this is his words, quote, the transformation we are promised at the end of time had already begun in Jesus. When God raised him from the dead, he launched his entire project of new creation and called people of all sorts to be part of that project already here and now. And so we have this new creation project that begins with us inwardly. It's as if God is recreating within us all God's original intent at the Garden of Eden. God is recreating within us all this longing for goodness, this longing for mutuality, a longing for living in right relationship with all of creation and our world. It's a longing to live in relationship with one another in which we look out for one another. And by the way, I don't think it's too far from the possibility that we are drawn to gardens. I think that's why you have cities and, and cityscapes will plant gardens on top of buildings and will plant gardens where there were used to be railroad tracks because there's something within us that says, we got to get back to the garden. We have to get back to God's original intent. And as I like to say, the Bible begins in a garden and it ends in a garden because we have this longing to get back to what God originally had in mind, this place of Eden, not only outwardly, but inwardly. It's this longing to flourish and live this flourishing existence. And this new creation project continues with us as we give God the mess and the muck and the brokenness and the sadness and the confusion and the loneliness and the chaos of our lives, and we allow God to create us. Because if God can create a whole world out of chaos and call it good as he did in Genesis, then I think God can create something good out of the chaos of our lives. It's not a stretch for God. Now, we've just mentioned Rachel Held Evans in her worship. And she talks about this. She had a lot of chaos in her life. And she wrote about this in one of her books called Searching for Sunday as she was transitioning in her spiritual journey. And I want to share some of her words with you, both because they're appropriate, but both in honor of her. This is what she writes. Quote, Death and resurrection... It's the impossibility around which every other impossibility of the Christian faith orbits. Baptism declares that God is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. So if you want in on God's business, you better prepare to follow God to all the rock-bottom, scorched earth, dead-on-arrival corners of the world, including those of your own heart. Because that is where God works. That's where God gardens. I love that language. See? The Garden of Eden. Baptism reminds us there's no ladder to holiness to climb, no self-improvement plan to follow. It's just death and resurrection over and over uh, over again, day after day. As God reaches down into the deepest graves and with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, God will wrest us from our pride, our apathy, our fear, our prejudice, our anger, our hurt, and our despair. Most days, I'm not sure which is harder for me to believe, that God reanimated the brain functions of a man three days dead, or that God can bring back to life all the beautiful things we have killed. She could believe both, but she had to go down to those very depths and realize this is what God is wanting to do, this new creation. And this new creation project continues on, not only in our lives, but through our lives. We become co-creators with God in creating the new heavens and new earth. To be sure, this is not just building a paradise of our own making on earth, but this is you and I joining God in whatever God is doing, wherever God is doing it. Because I believe it's God's intent and will 
to create this new heaven and earth, not just for later, but in the present, in this here and now, that the announcement and inauguration of this new creation project was the resurrection of Jesus. And I think it's done in large parts by our acts of reconciliation. You look at the scriptures pretty much right after Jesus raised us from the dead and he moves past the fears of the disciples symbolized in these locked doors. What I think is really fascinating is the commission that Jesus gives the disciples is this. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. In other words, it's this message of reconciliation that both Jesus and Paul talk about. Now, reconciliation is not the only thing, but it's a big one. Think about this. Think about how much of our world experiences brokenness due to unreconciled, unreconciled lives and relationships, due to family conflicts, due to church conflicts, due to personal conflicts, due to marital conflicts, due to nation-state conflicts. And often we would rather be right than reconcile. So think how much the world would change, could be changed, if I and each of us took on this message and mission of reconciliation to the world to help make things right. Now, the resurrection and the message to be continued for sure is more than just the message of reconciliation. I think it happens in other ways too. It happens every day and not just here. I have to remind myself that when you all leave here, you go into 40, 50 hours or more of a world that is even different than mine. I mean, let's be honest, I spend 40 hours, give or take, here. And so I'm thinking about Deep River Friends. I'm thinking about church. And I have to remind myself that you all have completely different other lives than what happens here on Sunday morning. And my point is this. Wherever you go in this world, wherever you go in in, in this week, this is the place where we are being invited to co-create with God and help create this new heaven and new earth in partnership with God. This is where it's at. And how does that happen? Every time we offer kindness and reconciliation and forgiveness, every time we use our gifts to bring light and goodness to this world, every time we offer presence to someone who is lonely and hurting, every time we engage in peacemaking and peacebuilding, or we engage in acts of social justice, or we stand in solidarity with those who are oppressed, every time we share the hope that's within us, So others may have hope. Every time we extend grace, patience, and mercy to others, even when they keep failing, even when they keep dropping the ball, even when they keep just blowing it, and we keep showing up in mercy. Every time we bring beauty to this world through our creative acts and gifts, every time we do that and more, we are literally, literally helping God bring this garden back to what it needs to be so that it can flourish And life can flourish. And the story continues on and on and on. I told you I was going to share about Wiley Shore, because I think in closing, he's a good example. Now, most of you don't know Wiley. Some of you do, maybe more than I realize. But Wiley Shore, as we mentioned, passed away. Wiley's a good, just lifelong Quaker in uh, Yakin County, Deep Creek friends. And If you've ever known Wiley, he is just a huge guy with a huge heart, with huge visions and and huge dreams. And 
he led this group called Friends Disaster Service, which would go and, and, and help people in times of need after hurricanes and, and after floods and, and help build homes and restore places. And it didn't matter what denomination you were. It didn't matter whether you were a, a person of faith or not. If you were in need, you were going to get some help. And the beautiful thing about Wiley was, as Max Carter would say, Wiley's work with Friends Disaster Service would help everybody transcend any kind of theological differences and political differences. Because when you're on the top of a roof, nailing in shingles, it didn't matter where you stood at any of that. You just wanted to get that house done. You wanted to get this place done. And I want to read a part of his obituary because this is what it says about Wiley. Wiley also answered the call of service to the Lord as a coordinator of North Carolina Friends Disaster Service an all-volunteer ministry of rebuilding and repairing homes after natural disasters. Through that ministry, he traveled throughout the United States, serving hundreds and making friends all over the country. He had been an inspiration to many who were going through difficult times. And as part of the disaster work, he and the other volunteers developed skills they used outside of North Carolina Friends Disaster Service. With those skills, they worked with the Navajo Indians in New Mexico. They built a health care facility on the, resurrect, on the reservation, and they built bathrooms into the Hogan's, which were local mud homes. They used these skills as they repaired and remodeled houses in the neighborhood of the Friends Mission in Matamoros, Mexico. And at that mission, they put up a building and playground for children who had never seen a playground. And they worked with local government to install a sewage system throughout the community. In other words, they helped create a new heaven and a new earth. They helped this new creation show up in this world. But then it gets better. Wiley's grandchildren believe he gets the best granddad award. He seldom missed a ball game, a concert, a dance competition, or recital. He loved to see his grandchildren perform and excel. He was proud of his children and all that they did, and he believed that his wife Shelby could do nothing that was ever asked of her. They were not only partners in business, but also partners in life. My point being is this. You don't have to go build a house to help co-create with God and make resurrection alive. Sometimes you just be the best granddad ever. Sometimes you be the best grandmother ever. Sometimes you be the best partner ever. Sometimes you just be that person that brings life to whatever relationship you're in, and you bring life to this world. Don't let the resurrection end two weeks ago. Don't let the story stop. As it says, to be continued, and it continues on and on and on through each one of us.